to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. We're going to be looking at this, um, one of the last couple of ideas in this uh, study we've been doing, this series on Train Us for Eternity. Um, so, and I put up there again, just so the kind of, if, if people have been kind of hit and miss or if they've missed some weeks, just so they'll see where we've kind of tracked through. And uh, that those first couple of weeks, we spent some time looking at know yourself and the doctrine. And so uh, we talked about a lot of times, especially in particular circles, theological circles, certain types of churches, that we, we are really big on our doctrines, but we don't realize how we kind of come across to people or how we're um, really knowledgeable and we have knowledge points. And we're, we're so concerned about doctrine and tiny little um, lists and things that we don't realize how we can come across to people. We can be unloved. We can be ungraceful. We can be um, not really fighting towards unity. We're actually trying to fight for all these little argument stances. And so know yourself and and the doctrine, how the Bible applies in your life. How are you applying it? And then we looked at um, uh, understanding Sabbath rest and that applying that Sabbath rest, what, what does that mean from the Old Testament, what they understood as Sabbath, and then understanding what does that look like, just this time of pausing, uh, contemplating, looking back at what God has done this previous week, and being thankful and appreciative of that, seeing his provision, even if you had some big um, uh, collapses or some rough events that you went through, that God was faithful this week. And so pausing, thank you, God, that you provided for that. And then for this upcoming week, because of what I know of you, based off of that, I'm resting in and trusting in this next week instead of worrying frantically and treating people horribly because I can rest in you, that no matter what's going on, I I can trust and rest. Um, And so then learning that Jesus is now our Sabbath. So um, just learning, what does that look like? And that led us to learning about abiding in Christ, that we've got to see that as a focal point. And then um, uh, Andy spoke on speaking the truth in love. So Ephesians 4 there. We're going to hit Ephesians 6 today. And then we took a a turn looking at disciple making, the idea of what if just uh, each one in here had someone in their life, if we just invested in a few. So one or two people that were um, I was pouring my life into spiritually. If I had one or two people around me that I could truly be transparent and honest with um, and, and truly grow in the graces. And we looked at what, what the, how the church sometimes has some maybe some measurements that are not necessarily measuring by the right metrics. And um, then last week we looked at being doers of the word. And so I kind of challenged you guys to think through. So we've heard these things, but ha- have you taken and applied anything that we talked about Sabbath rest? Have you, have you taken some time to go and get alone with God just to ask, do I know myself? Holy Spirit, would you show me things about myself? And if, if we're not doing that, we're coming listening at a service, but we're not being doers of the word. And no, no, don't get me wrong. I have my list, right? I have my list and here's how tight we are on these things. But, but, but I'm not really going like, hey, it might be helpful, Spirit, if I understood that I'm pretty rude to people. I'm pretty um, judgmental over people. I'm self-righteous and don't even recognize it. Or I'm so loose and carefree with everything that that, that, that is 
destroying my Christian witness. It's destroying the name of Christ. And so thinking through those things. So this week, um, we're going to be looking at this idea of um, the theology of adversity. So for some of you, that may be a new thing. Um, I had a couple of professors at Southern that that kind of really harped on this for a while, and we spent a lot of time in this. And um, it's again, this whole series in Train Us for Eternity is understanding some things about us that are that are central, but that a lot of times the church doesn't speak to some of these issues. Um, and so, this idea of a, a theology of adversity. We can go through 2 Corinthians like we did and see Paul's sufferings and struggles and everything, but then not really be prepared. And then when a little bitty bit of suffering hits my life, we lose it. I mean, you, you've seen people who, who turn on the faith, that, that walk away from the church, and you're like, oh my gosh, like you were 14 years invested, a, a teacher, highly involved in leadership and all this. And, and so this one, and you're like your parent got cancer, and, and now you're not a believer? you know, or, or whatever happens. And so a little bit of adversity and people's faith falls apart. And I'll hit on that a little bit in a second, how that can happen. But here's the main idea. Well, let me, so, so on that, this idea of spiritual warfare is part of the theology of adversity. And so um, John Piper says this, and, and I'm just kind of, uh, I didn't have it written down, but he, this idea of life is war. All of life is war, is spiritual warfare. Now, he says, it's not all that life is made up of, right? It's not just every single second you're awake that it is spiritual warfare that you're facing, but all of life will have bouts of spiritual warfare, so therefore, life is war. If you don't look at it like that, then you're going to be misguided in some things. And so um, today, the main idea, so we got a slide up here for the main idea, and it's just that idea that we we need to be um, learning and developing a theology of adversity, um, a lot of you may have grown up in the church, and, and they weren't—they were teaching you good little Bible stories, David and Goliath, Adam and Eve. Um, then you get in your teen years, and it's kind of like, hey, stay away from these things, stay away from these things. But but they weren't teaching you about, hey, when you hit your twenties, there may be some things that hit your life or your teen years that you're going to go through, and it should not destruct your idea of God. So a theology, remember, that's just the, that word theology, theo, and anything that has that um, ending on it is just a, a study of or an understanding of what that root word is. So a study of or an understanding of God himself. So, But now we're taking having an understanding of God in the midst of adversity. So I don't lose my understanding of God in the midst of adversity. And so um, to do that, um, we, we need to think through. Um, it's an understanding and knowledge of God. And, and I would say not just knowledge of God, it's an experience of God. I can state and have bullet points in my head, God is good, God is loving. Immediate car wreck. Kills a family member. Bullet points sometimes don't help. So now you need to experience on your knees, bawling, crying, maybe throwing a fit. I don't understand. Experiencing God will be loving in the middle of that. God is still good. You're a good, good father, even though this tragedy happened suddenly and we just didn't expect it. And so the church sometimes doesn't tell us about that. You know, it's like just bullet points. You go be David. You go be, you know, the one who goes out and kills and slays bad things. And that's not preparing you for adversity. Um, and so one of the things that we have to look at there is having a biblical spirit-guided framework. And that's why I said, so I have a biblical understanding, 
But in the middle of this experience, the Spirit's guiding me and encouraging and renewing me as I'm going through elements of adversity, different, different levels of that. Um, and we're, we're surrounded by a world warped by sin. So to do that, these three things that I had along with that main idea, as we're living our lives here, first of all, we have to understand God's provision of resources in facing spiritual warfare. And that's why we're going to go to Ephesians 6. So we have to understand God's provision of resources in facing spiritual warfare, which is adversity. And then secondly, we have to have the awareness and understanding of the reality of spiritual warfare um, and in the correct realms. And you're going to see that in a second, what I mean. So we have to be aware, oh, what's going on here is spiritual warfare. Now, is that Satan and demons that are doing that? Is that, man, it was a car wreck, and we live in a fallen world, and there's going to be sudden death. It was cancer. Our cells start turning on our body, and it's a fallen world. It wasn't someone, not necessarily Satan that did the cells, right? Not necessarily demons that did the cells. Not necessarily, definitely not that that person, you know, got angry yesterday, and now their cells all turned. It's cancer. We live in a fallen world, right? So, so Satan and demons, that realm just the fallen world, the system of this fallen world, but then also one that we look over and we want to blame those other two on, your own heart. So um, just the, the, the desperate wickedness in our own heart. I'm mad at all you. You guys have hurt me. I'm, I'm sick of this and I'm sick of that. I'm mad at you guys. Oh, oh, that's Sankey's heart. There's the problem. That's not Satan. That's not demons. That's not the fallen system. Sankey's got sin in his heart. So you've got to understand those three realms there. Um, and so we're going to look at that. And then I'm going to add this, and this will be dangerous. Uh, so three caveats to understand. And so we'll explain that a little bit more. The tendency in spiritual, in dealing with spiritual warf warfare, in, in America at least, um, is, is we either um, hardly ever talk about it, and so it's just extreme cases. So most of us kind of downplay. So if you come from a, a Bible church, a Baptist church, Presbyterian Church, we probably have downplayed spiritual warfare. We don't look about, look at it, talk about it. So just extreme cases. We know there's probably a couple of cases where someone you know, had to deal with an exorcism. We really don't know what to do in that. Um, and then the other side of that is where people that, you know, maybe more on the extreme charismatic end, everything. So there's some churches where every single thing, you know, they had indigestion because of pizza and woke up at 2 a.m. and they were, you know, quoting psalms and swinging things in their bedroom at demons and they, they tell you know you're at work and, and you got lost people in your office or your workplace and they're you know first thing they come in man last night I had some demons and you're like oh my god I'm trying to invite these people to work this guy's like naming and talking about fighting demons in his bedroom last night and I'm like that's not my Christianity that, that's not what I'm talking about and so either we downplay it like it's and we don't talk about it or we make it everything and so I had a flat and I asked Satan he's stuck an nail in the tire no there's four houses being built around you. You're an idiot who parked out there where those you know, rocks and uh, nails are. And so that's not Satan. It was you. And it wasn't even your evil heart. You were being silly. You should have thought better through that. So we don't think about that. Um, um, I faced, uh, talk about demons. Uh, so Friday afternoon, I faced one of probably the most evil demonic principalities that you can imagine for about four or five hours. Um, I think in the end times, it, Revelation doesn't mention it. It probably has the letters there, but it's going to be revealed and all of us are going to be like, aha, I knew it. So I dealt with this demon I, I, and I don't have to wait to the end. I know its name. Its name is AT&T. I don't know if you've ran into this type of demon. Uh, it, it should be something as simple as it's 2022 
nine-year-olds can take a flight to the moon and back in like seven hours, I need you to simply click on your computer keyboard and delete that account. So uh, there's two numbers on this account. I need that one number deleted, and it was five hours later, and still it didn't work out. And so um, those things happened where we, and in the middle of that, I literally, I don't know how we got to it, but, but about 30 minutes in, I'm starting to say bad things about this woman that I don't know working in Singapore. I'm starting to talk about her grandma and grandpa and her parents as failures. Like, I'm so frustrated. Owen's sitting in the car with me just like, oh, my gosh, I'm joking. I wasn't really. The kids are going, he did that? I wasn't talking about her grandparents. But you're so frustrated, and I'm talking them through. Like, I'm not mad at you, but this company, I'm just so sorry. Like, I'm sorry you work there. This is horrific that you guys don't have some better systems. So we get frustrated with things. And so again, we're looking at the different areas. And sometimes when we're praying, here, here's the point of this, train us for eternity, understanding a theology of adversity, you better know what you're praying against. Is it the demonic realm? Is it something demonic that, that's causing harm in your life, in your relationships? Is it satanic? Now, so remember, this is just a little side note, but I have to remind people of this. Satan is a being. He is not um, omnipresent. And so God, the Spirit, is, is omnipresent, right? Satan is a being. He's not omnipresent. And so you, you, you want to be careful with your language. You're like, Satan did this to me this morning. So he's a being. I don't think he knows Sankey Lynch's name. You know, he may not know, he may know your name. Like, so he is also not omniscient. He doesn't know all things. He doesn't know what you're going to respond like. There are demonic principalities all around. And his, his, his forces that are working, it's that. But remember, it's, Satan himself has some pretty big fish to fry. And so um, in that, just know who you're praying against. So is it the demonic realm? Is it my own heart? Maybe 90% of the time that's causing the problems. And I need to pause and look at the gospel and be self-aware and not, not in any pop psychology way, biblically self-aware spirit. You've given me resources of you working inside of me to, to help me to see, oh, I'm really angry. I'm really stressed. That's why I'm treating these people this way. They didn't necessarily do anything. I'm just, I'm really angry right now. I'm testy. I'm short with people. That, that's, that's your own heart. And you're, and you're trying to pray against Satan and demons or you're, you're, you know, the, the world system and Biden and Trump and all these. And, and like, no, you're, you're frustrated. You're stressed you're just, it's your own heart that needs to be addressed. So remember, we've got to know those things. Think through the different levels and different fronts that are so complex and also are so confusing. So you've got your thoughts in your mind as a holistic person. And again, don't, 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 don't get scared about that. Sometimes if you come from certain church circles, I'm just talking about the reality that God made you as, as a, a person that is going to have the, the mind in your thoughts. A lot of scriptures talk about that. Most of you are probably saved because of a book called The Battlefield of Your Mind. So, um, so like that, that's a true reality. I'm joking. And so um, the, the, the mind, the thoughts, that's a huge part of it, right? Well, then related to that, close to that, from your thoughts is your emotions and, and your heart, right? So the, the heart and the mind and the thoughts for the Jews, that was kind of your guts, your internal, and, and all of that come together between this idea of the physical body and, and the soul, the spirit, right? And so you've got those um, thoughts in your mind. You've got tied to that hearts, which your heart is a desire factory, right? Desires, lusts, those things. Now also you've got your physiological, physical body, and the physiological body, as you get older, as you go through the lifespan, 
changes that start to occur, that begins to affect your thoughts, your emotions, your, your other parts of your physical body, literally just little tiny chemicals in the brain that start affecting weight loss, weight gain, sleep, sleep deprivation, um, eating habits, all kinds of things, which also affect your moods, your, your emotions, all those. And so that plays into that. What about relationships? We're also um, relational beings. So, so all of those things play into us. And so in, in, you probably had um, times where you're like, man, I feel like there's a demon sleeping next to me. If you're married sometimes, or you're like, man, we have three demons in our house. They're, they're kids that you're just like, man, they're acting demonic almost. I remember when one of our boys was little and he would throw the little two-year-old fit. And so it was happening and you're trying to do all the things. And remember, and Jamie was very serious. And she's like, do you think, at one point she's like, do you think that, is there anything demonic happening? Because I mean, it's like a little tinge. like, no, and just screaming over nothing, you know, and, uh, like, man, is that demonic? And you're just like, well, let's just give it time. If his head starts spinning around and he's doing that and spitting out stuff, then maybe we, we go to someone else. And so all those things play in. Um, but it's difficult to discern which area to focus on. So that's what we're going to be looking at today in, um, today in Ephesians. So um, let's turn to Ephesians 6 in your device or your Bible. We'll have it up on the screen. And this is the end. And that's so Paul's walked walk through some beautiful, deep, Theology, Ephesians, is what I would say is kind of a, a Cliff Notes version of Romans. And so Paul gets to the end, and it's not, hey, here's the stuff that really doesn't matter. He's going, all the stuff that you learned about what God's redemptive plan in all of history was, all that I've talked about, what Christ has accomplished, the, the new identity, the new life, the salvation being, being found in him. Now, what does that look like in the practical areas of marriage and, and relationships and work and serving one another um, and raising children, all of those things? And so he gets to this one point in verse 10. And so we're going to go uh, just talk about this part. And it's pretty well known for you, but we're going to look at 10 through 20. And so notice the finally, after all of that stuff, now Paul's going, um, hey, but I need to speak to you after we've talked about all that rich theology about this aspect this aspect of spiritual warfare. And it's very, very serious. So he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, fourth time he's mentioned the word stand, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador, an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So, Father, we, we do come to you just asking for the Spirit to enable us to have spiritual eyes to hear, to have spiritual eyes to see, 
not only um, things about ourselves that need to be adjusted and aligned as we look into the mirror of the Word, but that we would see you as the provider for that, that you're not calling us to do something on our own strength, that you're calling us to follow in obedience and in, in, in being um, empowered by the Spirit. So whether we feel like failures in this, whether we feel foolish, whether we feel prideful champions, whatever it is that the Spirit would bring those beautiful gifts of conviction of heart, confession, um, repentance, and then renewal and rest in Christ, and that that would lead to greater worship of you. In your name we pray. Amen. So let's look at this um, first aspect here. So um, I'm gonna know, I want to bring out one little um, thing. Remember, and when we're going through this, I don't like this part, but instead of going deep exegetically in this, um, like if, I was, if we were in the book of Ephesians 6, we would camp out and probably spend two or three weeks on this section because there's a lot of great stuff here. We're, remember, we're kind of hitting the, the high points, and so I'm kind of talk, talking topically about this, and uh, I want to bring out just this idea here that we see um, first of all, that he mentions standing. So look there in verse 11, so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So that's what we're talking about, spiritual warfare. And then um, later on he says in verse 13, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore. Like if Paul was getting graded in English class, the teacher would be like, hey, you know, scratch this. You're, you're like too, too repetitive. You're too wordy with this. And so, um, so he's making an emphasis there. So how do we end up standing in the midst of spiritual attack and adversity? Um, and it's by developing this theology of adversity. So now let me, let, let's think through. I've explained the theology of, of, of um, theology of adversity is our right understanding of God in the middle of adversity. Let's take three different branches of Christianity. So prosperity gospel. One of the reasons I can't stand the prosperity gospel is you cannot have a true biblical spirit-led understanding of spiritual warfare in the prosperity gospel. Because it teaches that if anything's going wrong through your life, either you, you've sinned or that you can just name it and claim it in the name of Jesus, and God has to, he's obligated to remove it. Well, that's not biblical. That, that's not teaching you a theology that in the middle of adversity that may get worse for a while and may end up you dying, like a lot of the disciples and Stephen and people in the Bible, like following that pattern and Jesus saying, hey, you're going to suffer um, repeatedly in the New Testament. So it, it does away with that understanding of a theology of um, adversity. And so we go, man, those, those, that prosperity gospel, just, just, you know, that's so concerning. They miss it completely. Um, it, it completely fails and misinterprets the fallen world and adversity and the spiritual realm. And it doesn't talk a lot about the own spiritual heart, your own spiritual heart, right? And it, it is a lot about just naming, claiming stuff. Second, Second group that concerns me, if we're the mainstream broad churches trying to attract a lot, so the attractional model, the church growth model for the last 30 to 40 years, um, what do people want? They want convenient, they want it quick. So here's three life points on raising great teenagers, raising perfect teenagers. And so quick life points um, and, and mainstream Christianity, it misses it because it's too shallow, it's not teaching you in the Word about the Spirit's provision and how to begin to stand and have a robust theology in the middle of adversity. And so um, some churches that want to do that 
what you see. We see it all the time. Something begins to happen health-wise. A kid gets a diagnosis, a surprising car wreck, any kind of major adversity, even little things like a kid in schools having problems, and it for, for months, they, it may destroy their faith, or they completely give up on the faith. And they walk away from the church because God shouldn't have done that. Well, you've been, you've been, you, you've been eating like literally crackers when there's this, this beautiful uh, thick steak of Jesus Christ and his gospel, and you've been looking like little bitty two and three life points for easy application. And so it misses it. But now let's think through maybe more of our groups, okay? Let's think through some of the churches that maybe we've been around where we, we do value um, doctrine. We value things of, of deeper learning. Sometimes we can become so self-absorbed or self-righteous and, and nitpicky over these small little things, whether it's worship songs or, or, or a Sankey read out of an NIV. I think we're, we're changing churches now. Um, hey, the, the, we were a group, and this person said that they're, they're, they're going to send their kid to uh, private school now instead of public school, or they're going to uh, do this with their family. You know, They're going to get Netflix. Oh my gosh, I thought we were a church where we wouldn't allow Netflix. Whatever it is, and we think it's silly, but it, I mean, it, it's six months of arguments. We're so nitpicky on these things that shouldn't be, and so it's completely distracting from what God's trying to do. And so there's spiritual warfare that happens, and the demons are like, hey, just step back. They're, they're handling it for us. Like, they're distracted from the mission and unity and love and peace and growth because they're so nitpicky over these little things that don't even matter. Like, we could just step back and rest. And so uh, they've got their doctrine right, but man, they're making that their focus instead of what the doctrine should lead them to. So that's what we've been looking at in this idea. Um, so as we go into this, thinking through that, um, the first big thing I want you to see there is, is we can't look over the first thing that Paul says. All of us have kind of probably grown up as little kids, or you saw, and it had the little the poster, or the for me it was the, the felt boards, and so I'd love to have some felt boards back. And so it has the whole armor of God and the little pieces and all that stuff. And so you probably grew up learning that and had different teachings on that. But, but we skip over Paul's intent. Finally, here's my big thrust to you, is, is be strengthened in the Lord and in the power of his might. So notice that. I'm talking about spiritual warfare. And what we do sometimes is we, we want to think about the helmet, the, the sword. We're, we're picturing the sword. Not realizing, no, the sword, he, he's using just metaphors to, to, to show us something deeper. And we're going to get into those in a second. But notice what we skip over is this idea of being strengthened in the Lord, the power of his might. So um, as we live our lives, we're looking at this idea of God's provision of resources and facing spiritual warfare. Where do you turn in the middle of, of recognizing spiritual warfare? Okay, now I'm aware there's spiritual warfare. Where am I turning? Who is your authority? Who has authority over spiritual warfare? And in that, he's saying, are you learning to be strengthened in the Lord? And then the power of his might is, is talking about this reality that God has this mighty power. And so um, it, it's kind of like a big bodybuilder who you can see, like you can physically see Arnold Schwarzenegger and you can see his body and you can just see like, man, he is stacked. He is ripped. And so even when he's not lifting weights, and it's kind of like me. I'm like not even lifting weights. You're like, man, look at Sank. I mean, just look at that. And so it's kind of similar. And I'm sure it's easy to make that analogy. And so, but you're just going, man, he's got a lot of power on reserve. And so Paul's going, God has this extreme might. When you turn in spiritual warfare and go, 
I, I'm, I'm surrendering and humbling myself and going, I can't fight this without you. You're the mighty one. To exercise God's power, you're taking his bulk of, of, of might, and power means you're exercising God's strength in that. So he's saying, hey, be strengthened in the Lord and use the power exercising his might. And so that, that's what we look over sometimes. We, we want to get to the armor of God, and we want to think it's these things that we do. And some churches have made it more about go do, go do, go do. And so this is all about your identity in Christ. So this is exactly what we've been talking about um, for a long time. Um, this, so being you know, your identity in Christ, your um, union with Christ, abiding in Christ, um, being aware of yourself. One of those things of being aware of yourself, I've seen repeatedly uh, for young pastors. Um, they're, they're gifted in some things. They're usually maybe gifted with people. They have some people skills, and they, they want more and more leadership skills. So enter a couple with a problem with the church, a problem with the situation, a problem in their marriage. And a lot of times, as that hits or something happens around the church, people step up with their own ability. People step up trying to fix it in their own power. And I've seen repeatedly, 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 it falls apart. And then you ask them afterwards, like, hey, man, were you really taking some time praying about that? Were you searching the scriptures? Were you? And, and they realize that, oh, no, I was just... I just really thought I could just talk to them and kind of talk and talk and talk and talk, and that would help them. And that, I've seen it repeatedly. Um, at a couple of churches that we've been with, uh, we had a situation where there were, um, like the pastoral staff had some people that were also some leadership, and they were, um, um, there come kind of a situation like, you know, this guy's son is dating this guy's daughter, and they're both in leadership. And that didn't go well after a while. And so one of the pastors kind of just like, hey, I know both of them. One's on staff with me. One's a leader. I'll just get them together and bring that together. Didn't bring it to the elders. Didn't spend a lot of time like, hey, I know him. I know what they're thinking. I know him. I know what they're thinking. Both families destroyed a year and a half, squabbling through the church. Families tied to this family. Families tied to this family. A huge thing. Afterwards, you ask that pastor, hey, what happened there? He's like, I wasn't relying on the Lord's strength. I thought I could step in with my people skills, kind of just talk to them about stuff and make sense. And it would help, it would solve all the problems. So we see here as we go into this, this idea of being strengthened in the Lord's um, might and power. Um, Paul's telling us, you're going to need supernatural borrowed strength, learning to depend on the power of his might. For this section that he's talking about here, this isn't based upon your own ability or gifts. These forces want to destroy you. And if we're not careful, we, we don't realize that. We forget that. Um, so that's when adversity hits. First, remembering, being aware. There is spiritual war going on all over, all around. And so then the second big thing that he puts in there is, so then therefore put on the armor of God. Um, and again, this idea of developing a theology of worship. So he, he talks about to stand. Therefore, take up the whole armor to be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore. So there's that emphasis on standing um, and we see, so his purpose is, is at the end of that, that you would be able to stand, that you would be solid, that you would be fixed, that you wouldn't, your faith wouldn't be destroyed, that adversity wouldn't come in and rip away your understanding of God, God's love for you. And what happens when we go through some adversity? Anyone ever got to the point where you literally do start questioning, 
Why would God allow this to happen when we're trying to do everything we know is right? We're trying to handle this right. Why is God allowing us to go through this? I can understand why he would allow those people in our group and those other people to go through this, but why us? Where is God when when I'm trying to pray, I'm trying to be devoted, and, and this is happening now, I'm going through adversity, and we don't even know what's going on. Does God even care? He seems so distant, so removed. It's like I'm walking in a dark fog. And we want it to happen like a really good quiet time on Monday morning to fix it all, and, and that doesn't happen. And so, so some of you, if you're in your, your teens, in your 20s, as life gets heavier and more serious, know that, that God isn't gone. God isn't standing back there with his arms folded, and he's waiting for you to straighten all your act up. Sometimes God, because he wants us to see our need for him and be more dependent on him, he is allowing us to go through things that will stretch our faith and stretch our appreciation and stretch our love for him. And it will feel like there's distance there. And it's not a matter. Now, it is distance if you're sinning. If you're like, well, God let this happen, so I'm going to go live crazy. I'm going to disobey God. I'm going to live a horrible life. Yeah, you're distancing now. You've made some horrible decisions. But I'm talking about the times when you're still trying to pursue God. You're, you're seeking counsel. That's going to happen in life. So that's adversity. That's spiritual adversity, circumstantial adversity, spiritual adversity. And God is not removed from that. But sometimes when you're 14, 18, 25, some bigger things haven't hit your life. Um, and so when I was 27, 28, that's when my, my dad and my grandma and my grandpa, their health just completely tanked. Two out of the three of them die immediately. You're, like, you're not expecting that. Where's God in the middle of this? And so um, lots of things that go on. Um, and Paul says here, notice what he says. So we've got to remember in that, that it's not flesh and blood that we're worrying, that we're, that we're warring against. Do we tend to think it is flesh and blood? It's usually people that we're having this argument with. Now, we've got to remember, the spiritual forces are dealing with their thoughts and mind and heart and will and their emotions and and the lies that they're hearing, those little darts that he talked about, that's happening with them and that's happening with you. Please don't have the mindset that, well, well, I had a quiet time for seven minutes this morning. It couldn't be me. They've got to be wrong. Please don't have that mindset. And so if, what, if we, what if we handle it like this? Just a simple conversation. I, I just want to remind us, you're talking with a person that you've got some controversy going on. There's something larger going on here. Let, let's just pause. So, so maybe it seems like I, may, I did something, whether I did something purposely, intentionally, or, or I didn't even know that. But it, you, you've obviously been hurt. You've been wounded. You, you've been offended or something. Uh, and we can talk about that later. But first, what if we took the first step? I believe spiritual warfare is going on here. With the intention of separating, hurting, causing strife, instead of unity and love and care and patience and grace and mercy, Satan is powerful forces. They want this, our relationship, uh, to not work out, whether that's a marriage, whether that's your, your, your child that you're talking with and they're having some rough times, whether that's people in your small group, whether that's coworkers, that's a great thing to even talk with a lost person. It's a great bridge to bring in the gospel with them. That could be friends in high school. That could be friends that are hurting your feelings. Like, hey, man, it just feels like this. And again, you don't have to make it a thing like, hey, man, let's both start, you know, like just, I think there's spiritual demons flying around. So there are. We can't see them. But like, you know, if you do that with a lost person, it's going to be really confusing. But just say, hey, at the heart of the matter, man, I think what if we both understood, man, this world is a fallen world. We've all got sin. Now you're bringing in, we've got sin in our lives. To, to even a lost person, um, co-worker. But, but 
you seem to be coming with lots of immediate heightened frustration or accusations as if there has been definite malicious intent or definite intentional purposeful evil against you. And that wasn't going on at all. Like, what if there's just spiritual warfare going on? Would that not be an easy way just to start out the conversation? Um, I know it feels like and looks like this, but what if it's not? What if we just paused and took some time in prayer, both of us, to go, go let's take 24 hours and just pray and understand there's spiritual warfare. God does not, uh, Satan does not want this unity and peace and love and the mission to go forward of us together. What if we just took some time? And man, sometimes just churches can't get to that point and, and it just falls apart. So um, notice Paul's, Paul's sharing here. It's not necessarily just humans, flesh, and blood. Now, we'll say this. Don't, it does not mean, Paul's not meaning that human beings, flesh, and blood are never involved in that. So he's not trying to make that statement. What he's saying is you're going to have a tendency to think it's this, this person that's a jerk. I can't stand them. I hate them. I'm, I'm justified, and they're the problem. And Paul's going, that's not it. You've got to be aware of the spiritual realm going on. It's not necessarily just humans. So notice what he goes into. Authorities, cosmic powers in this present darkness. So a lot of you probably read that book. So this is a domain, a present reality surrounding us. And it's real. And again, we either play it down and make nothing of it and are uneducated about it, or we make too much of it sometimes. And so it's spiritual forces of evil is what he says. In heavenly places... So this is organized, militaristic, structured, communicating deployment in authorities and powers and forces. So this, this is a very intelligible force. Also, it's invisible. That's difficult. We just don't know what to do with that, do we? Uh, there is data being collected and has been collected, studied intelligently, communication, Deployment over your family lineage, your great-great-grandfather was tempted and darts were thrown and fell into this particular sin and pattern sin, and they were kind of just predisposed on um, addictions. They were predisposed on greed. They were predisposed towards lusts of certain kinds. And then guess what? Your great-grandpa also. And then your grandpa and your dad and his brothers, and so being aware of that. Now, we know Christ breaks those things, but we can still have that same, then the same way diabetes may run through your blood, and, and then, then the same way that you're predisposed that, that, that these addictions or lust or whatever, being aware of that, the spiritual warfare that goes on. So when you're talking to your kids and raise your kids, the first thing you're addressing all the time is the gospel in their own heart. Hey, you're going to be sidetracked and tempted by these things. Man, your dad was, your grandpa was, your great-grandpa. Here's all these things. Be aware of that in your heart. Jesus is the answer for that. The gospel is the answer for that. Oh, yeah. Oh, so you're telling me some people hurt you and that caused you to? Okay, so there's a fallen world also. So can you forgive them? I don't think it was Satan that did that to you. I think of your own heart and then some people around you. That's what happened. Now, now we know how to pray. So you see how that works together instead of just swinging at nothing or not knowing what to do? So um, knowing these areas is really, really helpful. So let's move into that second part, the awareness and understanding of the correct realms. Um, the three areas of warfare, I've already hit on those a little bit, the Satan, the Satan and demonic beings, because Paul says in there that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He's the author of that since Genesis, right? Um, but then also the second part, the fallen world system and culture. Um, very, you guys have probably dealt with this, very common. You got a church, 
Got a children's area, uh, or a little kid's area, toddler area. Mom has four or five kids, brings that two-year-old, drops him off in class. He's fine. He was fine Friday, Saturday, Sunday, doing great. Monday morning, wakes up with a fever, snotty nose, all this stuff. Five phone calls to five different women by uh, maybe one of the moms. Can you believe that Jamie brought her little demon child? He was sick as a dog, and she knew it. No, no, he, he was fine. He was fine. That wasn't demonic. It wasn't an intentional hurtful thing that this mom did. The kid was fine, but now we've got a squirmish going on with all these people. Let's have meetings, change the, the, the church's policy. Why, and now all these, all right, why is the church, why don't we have this? We, you know what the deal is? We don't have enough uh, masks. We don't have enough of the Clorox wipes. Who's failing here? Who's faulted? And all this stuff goes on. And no, 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 you're all mistaken. The kid was fine and Monday morning, Something set in, and now five or six moms have started this gossiping squirrel cage about this, this intentional act, and it was nothing at all. And so in that, what you're seeing there, it's, what happened? The kid, the two-year-old, lives in a fallen world system. In a fallen, broken world, we're going to get sick. Was it demonic? We're not for sure. Wasn't satanic, doesn't know the kid's name. Um, it wasn't an intentional, hurtful act by the mom. Now, is there the one out of 30 that comes in and like on you know, Sunday morning and they carry their kid in and they've got like, you know, spots all over, diarrhea shooting everywhere. They've got, you know, 103 fever, and snot all over. And the, 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 the worker is like, are you kidding me? You, you know, you can't bring this kid in here, you know? And so you guys need to run out of the church. And so, uh, and they do it. They want to like, no, he's fine. It's just little allergies. And so that's, that. We don't have to look at that and think that that is satanic, demonic, or intentional harm. Um, it's a fallen world. So we've got to be able to understand that. He says, but we're, we're battling against these rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. It's a fallen world. So all of creation has been impacted by the fall, not just our hearts. So if you understand a good, robust depravity of man, do you understand that we're in a fallen world? Don't be surprised when, when people's bodies physiologically break down. When governmental systems are set up and greed and hypocrisy and lust for power is what's controlling people, it's a fallen system. Um, and so understanding those things. Now, that can be involved in lots of things. That's got people's hearts involved. That's got a demonic uh, force. But we, the world we live in, culture, societal structures, poverty, starvation, all impacted by the fall. Um, earth, uh, plant life, animals, um, disease, death, decay, sickness, sadness, despair, all those things living in a fallen world. Um, and then the third one there is um, your own sinful heart. And that's why, why we're so thankful and want to look at train us for eternity because what we believe is God is reversing and redeeming a, a people. In the middle of darkness, he's redeeming a people and reversing the effects of the fall to where we would see a, a renewal of all things. So um, we must be aware and wise of the area or the realm that we're trying to fight through. Um, so we've talked about those three areas. Notice, um, it, once we get into, I'm not going to go deep into this. I'm not going to go to try to explain the, the, the different um, um, things that Paul uses to, to explain the different uh, weaponry or the different um, uh, armor of God. When we go through Ephesians, we'll go deep into that. But I want you to notice what his, his illustrations point us to. Notice he says so, um, in this, so I'll read it. Um, Stand having fastened the belt of truth. So what's that talking about? 
truth is the idea there. The main idea is not the belt, it's truth. There's not an actual belt physically that you put on. It's the idea of truth. That's what God is. God is truth, right? That's what he's getting across. Um, Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Where do we get righteousness from? Imputed righteousness from Christ. What have we been talking about? Sabbath rest, identity in Christ, um, union with Christ, abiding in Christ. So th- this isn't new. Well, we've got the, you know, the kids' little felt table uh, pictures over here, but, but the idea is the righteousness of Christ is what we need. This is what you need. And where's it coming from? It's coming from God's resources. What if you're a person that learns, be, be strong in the Lord, be strengthened in the Lord, and the power of his might, these people hurt me, I'm really mad, I want to react this way. God, I need patience. I need a love for these people. The gospel's more important than what those two people said about me. They, they, for whatever reason, now I'm leaning on the power of his might, applying those things from the Spirit. So, so and as, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel, you see this urgency, this readiness of the gospel of peace. So what was the gospel? Reconciliation between God and man. You, lost co-worker, hey, showing them instead of defending, justifying, bashing them, I'm going to take some shots for the kingdom here. Jesus took a lot of shots for us, and maybe I can use this to introduce Man, you're probably right. I probably did do that and everything. And so, man, I just want us to be reconciled. Um, so reconciliation is a big thing to me and peace. Man, I was, I was a horrible person, and God reconciled me to himself. So you can just bring gospel themes in in the middle of these situations that Satan doesn't want to happen. He's wanting spiritual warfare to destroy, and we can bring these things in. So, so readiness of the gospel. He talks about faith, um, um, the Faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts. So that, that's faith. That's rest. That's trust. Salvation. Uh, he talks about the sword of the Spirit. Notice he says, so, so drop the idea of the sword, but just it's the Spirit and the Word of God together. That's what he's saying. You need the Spirit and the Word of God together. Um, prayer and supplication. Perseverance. Praying for the saints and leaders. That's what Paul asked for. So in all that, um, those are the areas that I would say the church sometimes fails to distinguish between. Now, let's talk about this last part, the, 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 the caveats to understand. And you have to distinguish between. This is where it gets dicey. This is where um, you may have had some different teaching in this. So first of all, there's spiritual sin. So the three categories I have, these three caveats to understand spiritual warfare and also understanding under the big umbrella of spiritual warfare, um, this theology of adversity that we're working in. Now, I understand the three realms that it happens in. But now I need to think through these three caveats. There is spiritual sin. No one should be denying that, right? So spiritual sin is the first one. The second one, spiritual apathy. The third one is injured health. And so let me, let me explain those, okay? Caveat one, spiritual sin. It is spiritual warfare. It is theology of adversity. When you choose... you. To, to act against God, to sin, and to move into disobedience. So that's just spiritual sin, right? Um, we, we choose to go into disobedience, to do something we know we shouldn't have done. So that's just an act of the will, um, of the mind, of lust, of desire, and that's spiritual sin. Um, the purpose of Satan and spiritual warfare is to separate us from God, separate us from one another, to cause dis, disharmony, disunity, all those things. Spiritual apathy. Um, 
there are times when we go through a lukewarmness or a coldness of our faith, and we, we don't purposely say, I want to distance myself with God. What we do, I think, is we, we just kind of put it on coast mode. We put it on cruise control, and we don't realize what happens. We do get separated from God's people, and we get separated from God. We get separated from prayer. We get separated from God's Word. And so what happens after a while, maybe the first step was not initial sin, just I'm just really exhausted in this season of life. And there's circumstantial evidence for that. But then what happens over time, now, two months or two weeks or six months later, I'm in a state of spiritual apathy. What Jesus would say, hey, this is a lukewarm heart. Now, when you realize it and the Holy Spirit brings conviction about that, now you have the chance to either repent or now continue in sin. So that's this idea of spiritual apathy. It may not start out as a choice of the will that you consciously just go, I want to distance myself from God and not care about spiritual things. That's where it takes you, and then it ends up being sin. The third one is the dicey one, um, injured health. So on injured health, the reason I bring this up, we've been around churches where horrific teaching on this. Um, Something is done to a person physically, emotionally, um, anything verbally. Something's done to a person that has had effects on your physical, your emotional, your cognitive, your spiritual well-being. You're injured by something affecting health, spiritual health, emotional health. This injured health affects your spiritual nature. Spiritual health, uh, it affects your growth, it affects your obedience, your holiness, interaction with others. Um, It could be circumstantial things. Um, We've been in places where, let's take for instance, and we were just talking with someone the other night, We've got a lot of young families. Someone has a child. They start breastfeeding, and, they, they, and it's really, really rough on them. And for whatever reason, they're like, man, this is really, really pitiful. It's really, really hard. And the mother is trying to do this because she's heard this is, this, you know, this is the godly thing. But then they have to supplement with something, and there's a gang of four or five women like, oh, are you not going to raise a godly child? Do you not realize the, the spiritual deprivation? That's spiritual abuse to put that on a person. There may be people in here that have done that. <laughs> You've actually heaped that on people. No, physiological things are happening, um, and you just told them that if their body's not doing that right, that, then you just heap spiritual abuse on them. That, 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 that's one example. Um, people go in, and so for you know, two generations, no one talked about depression. No one talked about um, the problems in their family. It was just in this church, this, fam- this couple would just blow up when they hit 55, 56, and they'd just divorce, and all these horrible things would happen, and everyone's like, we're shocked. They seemed like they were so godly. They didn't talk about, they weren't authentic, they weren't transparent about what was really going on in the marriage and things. So no one went to counseling. That was just a, oh my gosh. And, there, and there's reasons for that. So when counseling first hit the scene, it was so secular and things, but there's some really great Christian, biblical, guided counseling now. And so um, the church has not handled mental health. In the lifespan, there's going to be things physiologically that happen to men and women where your body starts producing certain hormones or certain chemicals released in the brain or the body, the thyroid, and it will affect your sleeping, your eating, your health, um, all those things. And so to deny that, or even worse, in churches that go, hey, just memorize a couple of scriptures, there must be some sin in your life. That's why this is happening. We've had friends who they were unable to have children, and three or four of their closest friends around them told them, well, this is a spiritual thing, and it's your fault that you're not able to have kids. There's some secret sin in your life. Why? You know what that's like for a mother 
or for a woman who's dying to have children and everyone around her has children and now her Christian council of friends like Job start telling her, well, you must have secret sin. That's ridiculous. So this is an area the church usually doesn't talk about, but I'm just telling you, as you get older, physiologically, things will start happening with the mind, with the brain. It is not sin to go and seek professional help with um, people who've been trained on the body. Um, it's it, to, to get uh, medications for that, to be wise about that, because we know the, you know the pharma business, what that's about. But there are people that care. Uh, we have probably 60% of our people are medically um, educated. And so, man, to, to understand that, to have an understanding of the physiological nature of that, uh, of, of emotional things, anxiety, depression, and to heap on top of them, like, well, you're just not a good enough Christian, and you may have come from a place that is spiritual abuse. And so we won't be like that as sojourn. We want to listen and care and walk people through things and seek outside help on those things. And still, the spiritual and the gospel is the first thing, and we keep that as the first priority. But, but we don't heap spiritual abuse on people because you're a failing mother. You're a horrible person. Not using the word horrible, but that's what you're saying when you heap this on people. And that's what they feel. And they're trying all they can. And so we don't want to be that way. So that's why we must know those areas. So, so to be trained for eternity, we must develop and learn a theology of adversity. So that last little section, I know, so there will be people that will listen to this online, and they're going, oh my gosh, this Sojourn Church, they've went off the cliff. He's talking about feelings and depression and doctors. And, I, and so, oh my gosh, this place. So just know, So and that may you may have been in a place where that sounded crazy, uh, but I'm just telling you, that is not healthy. We want to be a place where you can be open and honest about that to where we can be a place of, of renewal and rest and growth through that and walking with people, not having quick timelines where we're expecting them to just change. Like it may be four or five years. It may be 10 years of stuff. And so spiritual attack, spiritual warfare, we must know God's resources during that spiritual warfare. We must know the different realms, Satan, the fallen world, the heart of sin, but also we have to have those perspectives. What is not sin, but will still affect our spiritual growth and will still be adversity to your, your, your spiritual life. We've got to have those categories. And I want you to know that we want to be a place where you can talk openly and be honest about that. So um, um, as we um, go into the Lord's Supper time, I know that's kind of more of an educative ending, educative ending on, on, on those things. But um, I pray that that we would look at that and look through the scriptures and see that that's what God is trying to do to bring this kind of renewal, trying to bring this kind of health, spiritual health to the church. Um, and so um, as we go to the Lord's Supper, um, we, we know all of those aspects we just talked about. God's desire, and so he, he could have had another design, but he said, I want to send a physical body to represent me, full image of God, represented the full 120% God, 120% man, in a physical body. Jesus said, I've got to leave. I'm going to die on the cross and then resurrect and ascend. The best thing for you is not even my physical body being here, but the spirit will be able to be everywhere at the same time and fill you, which is new. Old Testament didn't happen. And so we see this beautiful aspect. We see in Christ, we see all of those things, the relational component. We see the emotional component. We see that all through the scriptures, all those things are realities of God himself. Um, where Jesus was taken not into sin, but where he was in brokenness over the people that he saw in their sins. Um, brokenness and hurt and, and, and just really low times, uh, seeing the hurt around him in the fallen world, the, the effects of sin. 
And so all of that, we come together, we, we go, all that we've just talked about is answered in what we take, take, take part in in the Lord's Supper, that Christ and his body broken, his blood spilled for us is our answer for all of those things that he's working to renew us, to train us for eternity. So if you guys want to um, pray with me, I'm going to pray over the Lord's Supper, and then we'll uh, take part. Father, um, we are um, amazed at the depth of our sin, of the fallen world. Of We don't understand how you allow Satan and his minions to wreak havoc sometimes, but yet you are sovereign and in control and still loving and powerful. And we, we want to learn about that. We want to be correct in our doctrine, but we also want to be led by the Spirit in that. So I, I wouldn't doubt, even just the small number that's here today, people that have questions, struggles, whether it's the physiological, whether it's the mental health, whether it's um, uh, hurts, depressed seasons, depressed moods, circumstantial depression, anxiety, fears, worry, that can turn to sin, but, but not, are not necessarily sin, God. Would you help us to be a place of grace and patience, holding to the truth, holding to your word and the gospel as our only true hope, but, but knowing how to minister and patiently love and care for the people around us going through those things. Help us not to be a place that we just hand off spiritual abuse as an answer. God, we pray that you would um, guide and direct our hearts as we partake of the Lord's Supper. We, we proclaim it to our own hearts over our relational parts of our being, over our um, mental and cognitive parts of our being, over our um, emotional and, and our feelings, Lord, even that they would have control over that, that over the, the aspects of our spiritual life. All of those, the whole body would be, body, mind, spirit would be brought to renewal through what Christ is doing in us and through us. We thank you for the spirit that can empower us through that. I know this is confusing stuff for us, Father, and so would you help us to take what we need to take to bring healing if there's been people that have gone through those things and to walk away renewed, um, hopeful for the future, that you don't leave us in those places. We celebrate you in this. In your name we pray. Amen.